So, a wonderful good evening again here at Europa Park. I don't know if it, this is a good idea uh, to do a live podcast due to the fact I'm not native English speaking, but you're going to help me with that one. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> welcome again here at Europa Park. We're very proud to have the six editions of the Aurea Award. In the beginning, nobody actually believed in this format. Now we are over 55 nominees from seven countries, over 100 people at the event, and uh, approximately 1,000 in the community of Aurea. We try to make this as quick as possible that you get something to eat. But my marketing director, David Lemon, said like, oh, you have to do a live podcast. I said like, no. So, um, <laughs> so, so I'm doing this for you, David. Um, so, um, yeah, we just, Kathleen told me, uh, let's have a glass of wine during we recording. I don't know if that helps, but... <laughs> If you see us uh, drinking a lot, then the production's not going good. If it's, no, I'm kidding. So um, thanks again for being here tonight. And we tried that 20-minute uh, live podcast. And um, I'm really happy that, first of all, the um, family let me do this kind of a real award. They're open for new stuff. Um, we're trying to invent um, every day. And I was saying it earlier that it feels a little bit like a freaks and geeks uh, community who are often misunderstood but more than welcome at the Urea Award. And I just want to quote before we start the podcast, as Albert Einstein once said, the only difference between genius and insanity is that genius has its limits. So um, let's, <laughs> let's try to um, be a bit insane tonight. We have a little surprise for you later after you, um, we're done with the dinner. We will change the location. David's going to tell you where we go, but it's going to be really immersive and I'm looking really forward to see you all later at, I can tell, the Eden Manor, which is just a five-minute walk away from here, but I won't tell you what happened within the Eden Manor. So we have to toast before yes. we start. Okay, so, so let's get this thing started. Cheers. cheers. Yeah. Thanks for being here. This will be wonderful. Okay, let's get this yeah. started. Excellent. Sounds wonderful. The world beyond. Emotion is of tomorrow. Brought to you by Michael Mack. Hello and welcome to the first Aria special episode of my podcast, The World Beyond the Emotion Years of Tomorrow. I'm Michael Mark, and together with the Aria community, we're going on a journey into the future. Today, my very exciting guest is Kathleen Krause. Today is not an ordinary recording, but something very special, as the Aria Award is currently taking place here at Europa Park. In contrast to the usual setting in 378, this time we are located in the beautifully uh, Tommy Ungerer Bistro in the French-themed area in front of an attentive, I do hope at least, audience. We are recording this podcast live for you, and it promises to be an extraordinary episode. Kessling Krause is a recognized, experienced designer, learning expert, author, and keynote speaker. She teaches at Stanford University on technology and well-being. Kathleen is the author of Mindful Design and Designing Wonder, she is the founder of the consulting firm MindWise and co-founder of the Center of Wise Leadership. Renowned as a specialist in virtual reality, augmented reality, and artificial intelligence, Kathleen is known for imparting effective applications of virtual reality and immersive storytelling to executives fostering creativity and imagination. Her work is centered around promoting humanity, innovation, and emotional intelligence, in the technology industry. I'm very delighted to have you on my podcast. 
today. Welcome, Kathleen. Thank you, Michael. It's so wonderful to be here with everybody in community and yeah, just a privilege feeling this whole community and that energy that we have in the same shared space. And I've been following Orea and part of the virtual community for the past uh, a number of years. And so for me, coming here in body and physical presence is really special. Excellent. Thank you. Excellent. I always like to jumpstart our discussion with a provocative question. Will you allow me to challenge you a bit with a provocative statement question? Sure. And I won't look down, so I'm not going <laughs> to. Okay, I good. won't see it. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. Here it is. Mm-hmm. Kathleen, regarding emotional intelligence, virtual reality, and immersive storytelling, is there a possibility that these technology not only amplify emotions, but also manipulate them? How can we ensure that in a world of overwhelming virtual stimuli, we preserve our emotional authenticity? Short answer or long answer? I know as, you. as you wish. I mean, look at Goodness. the people. They might uh, I know. I know. be hungry, so it's up to you. <laughs> <laughs> So, gosh, well, I guess just to call back a lot of the meaningful exchanges that we've had tonight, what I find exciting about emotion is that every meaningful experience that we have in life is usually encoded with an emotion. So throughout my life, if I think about my history and probably if you think about yours, we have emotions that we attach to experiences And now I think there's a real imperative for the people who are doing the experience design to think about the intention of emotion underneath it. For me, that doesn't mean we always have to have positive emotions. Emotions should be a full range of the spectrum. It's more about the before and after and the whole process of us understanding that to be able to reach each other, to be able to be, as you say, authentic with our emotions involves what the theme of this event is all about, which is trust. So if we're going to trust in people who could manipulate emotions, then I think it's up to us to be able to understand what's behind the screen, you know, uh, what's going on with things like data capture, if there's motion capture and it's being, let's say, archived in a certain way, then we need to really uh, have power to decide how much we want to trust in the system. So that's why I believe in a lot of transparency with the people who are these emotioneers. And I really think it's going to be a future career path for a lot of people to understand more about emotional intelligence, understand about the brain, and uh, get really curious. I'm a very positive person. I I tend to have an optimistic outlook. uh, But this is one of those hot point questions that can have a dark future if we are not careful about it. But do you think the general user base can differentiate because we have this powerful algorithm which literally telling you how you should feel? Well, I think that users can feel when they're being manipulated. And I think that when there's no freedom and it's just a paint by number, I think every great experience design is an invitation and not a you should feel this way. So for me, I, I think that we can tell. And I think it's about maybe changing the education system also from the ground up so that more people are conscious of how to identify when their emotions are being manipulated. Can you describe what it is about immersive experience that gives them the power to move us and bring about possibilities for well-being? In other words, why do you say spatial is special? Yeah. So I started out as a programmer 
out of school. And I really wanted to, originally I wanted to be an astronaut. So how many people in the room wanted to be astronauts or something like an astronaut? Awesome. Okay. okay. Me too. And, you know, today we saw a character that went out into Mars on a landscape. I was lucky enough to have a grandfather who worked for NASA and his job was to design the spacesuits. And his spacesuit design had to be in a way that the seams were um, ultrasonic bonding, so impenetrable to the atmosphere. And I just got really curious. A lot of my learning at a young age was about playing around in a lab and experimenting. And as I got older, Long story short, my eyesight was not good enough at the time to go into the full astronaut program. But I learned that I could design in certain immersive environments and give people a feeling of going into space. And I was always someone, if you're out there and you're like me, I was always kind of mind wandering and wondering, just kind of going into a dream state of fantasy. And so my looser attachment, I moved around a lot. So when I wasn't attached to one identity, I could recognize that I sensed a certain what people call flow state now. I was in the zone. And so for me, it was very natural to be attracted to things like VR design, immersive spaces, because I saw them as that special place where you could be any avatar, you could design your world and have that agency, um, you could meet other people and not feel any kind of separation. It's, it's very intimate for people when they're in there together. And I, I just felt as if there's a lot of possibility there for storytelling. So I come from a pretty diverse background. And for me, spatial is special because it has all those opportunities to do something that now science is showing us is really powerful for changes in mood state, overcoming phobias. But ultimately, I like being there because it feels good. So... Interesting. Yeah, thank fits you. into a theme park. Yeah, it does. It's, it totally fits into that. I'm right at home here. Excellent. So, yeah. So welcome back home. Thank you. Um, you've coined the XR Hero Journey. Can you describe that journey and the phases in the model when it comes to immersive storytelling design? Yes. <laughs> um, the answer is not on that one. I, I know. I'm looking down. <laughs> I, I was thinking about the hero's journey, and recently the interesting part for me is that I'm, I'm questioning the tradition. So hero's journey, it doesn't have to be a Joseph Campbell type of um, fitting all of those stages. Yet, I was also thinking about the roller coaster theme and how it follows a home adventure home, kind of the odyssey journey, and what it means to have curiosity and cross a threshold. So so a lot of what I do is about inviting layers, layers of technology and starting with the human and saying to people, what are you curious about? Do you want to cross a threshold? The hardware is going to change probably at least every year, if not more often. So we can't think too hard about something that is hardware-based. We have to think about, well, who am I in this journey? So I came up with a, an acronym called SCUBA kind of for scuba diving, but for going on a hero's journey into virtual reality where people set intentions first. So even before you go into an experience, you're, you're thinking about what do I want to get out of this and who am I and am I going to lose my inhibition? You cross the threshold. A lot of us I've seen and had conversations with are playing the mentor. So you're helping somebody along the way cross that threshold into an immersive experience that is the you for being under, being in it, 
being so far into that zone that you might even go into some cave-like state where it's apotheosis. You know, you like face your demons. You have some kind of quest that you overcome. So you cross back and that's the bee in scuba where you're coming back across that threshold. Maybe the roller coaster's ended, but then there's the A of applying whatever's transformed you in the process. And I, I think that sometimes in our design, we forget about the before and the after that are so important for that spiral because someone's leaving and they're changed. Interesting. So talking about emotions, about playing, I think um, I heard a couple of times like fighting your demons, having yeah. a narrative of yeah. like playing and immersiveness. And what is for you the power of play? Uh, what does play mean to you and why is it powerful? And um, what are the measures do you, do you consider as a combination of a creative and a scientist? I love thinking about play because I think we all are motivated to do things when we're in a state where we're having fun and we're playing. It's another reason, Michael, that I think games can do so much for people because right now we also have a crisis where people are um, lonely. There's a loneliness epidemic worldwide. And when we turn things into play and game, we bring people together again in community and create a safe space for people to postulate, to test things, to use models and simulations and come up with new ideas. So I think about play, and there have been studies about gameplay, and a lot of people have said recently that play can reduce stress, reduce anxiety. You get into um, a state where you're collaborating with others, And I think the world needs more play, which doesn't mean it's all rainbows and butterflies. There's serious things that we're addressing. But when you increase the levity, then people start to become more plastic and flexible. Um, and I grew up really loving Seymour Papert, who was at MIT. Um, he wrote Mindstorms. And he used to say that great design has four Ps, projects, passion, peers, and play. So how can, how can we see ourselves not as isolated? I've seen so many talks today where people are sharing formative. Like, I'm working on this. I can use more help in this area. Or, you know, something, something's not perfect. Like perfect can be the enemy of good when we're creating things. Play is something where you, even the word itself, right? It has a bounce to it. And I love that. So get the child. Uh, back to life. Yeah, get the child back to life. We need it. That's wonder, right? Get into is, an open is, state is. of wonder. I yeah. once, when I met uh, Luc Besson, he said to me, all I learned was at the age of a child. So yeah. I think that was a powerful statement of well, him back in the days. And can I share, when, when I was little and I was moving around a lot, I was afraid. And I realized if I didn't get curious, then that fear would overcome me. So I knew early on that Play was curiosity and willingness to find out rather than, you know, needing to show up as a certain polished perfection. Yeah. That's what I'm doing every day, playing at a theme park. So. Yeah. Why not, right? <laughs> yes. this, is, this is life. I love so, it. Uh, mm -hmm. Overtake the boundaries. Yeah. As we move into the second part of our podcast recorded here at the Bistro Tomi Ungara, we want to make this experience interactive. We are here not just to share our thoughts, but to engage with each other and every one of you. 
whether it's about your reward, immersive experience, emotional intelligence, or anything that's been on your mind, feel free to raise your hand right now and ask a question. This is your opportunity to steer the conversation and make your voice heard. Let's make this dynamic exchange of ideas and insights. We're here to dive into the world beyond with all of you. So let's get started. Does anyone have a question, especially for Kathleen? We have one right there. Right. <laughs> okay, go ahead. Hi. Uh, I had the honor of being the jury secretary this year at the RA Awards, so I got to see firsthand all, all the work. And uh, one of the winners this year really excited me. Uh, it was Patch XR. And the reason was it looked like somebody made something for the next generation who grew up, like my daughter, playing Minecraft and Roblox and co-creating and having a completely different relationship to technology and creativity and mm. play uh, than maybe I did. So I'm curious to know your thoughts on this. We saw this winner, although a uh, few didn't see his pitch, but it's, uh, it was a solution that's taking creating your own musical instrument in a VR space and then performing for others, and it has a complete social aspect. It was mind-blowing. Uh, and it really gave me a lot of optimism about the future. I'm curious to know your thoughts on what is it about the next generation who grew up with all this technology um, that's going to influence where technology goes, where play goes, where user design goes? Mm. Fantastic question, because I too felt that affinity. And I also think that there's just so much need right now to think about the future and next generations. I flew here straight from teaching at Stanford, the course on digital well-being. And one of the first questions that I ask students when they come in to take the class, because I have students who are in the MBA program, it's an elective. So we also have freshmen, people who are, you know, studying everything from engineering to med school to psychology. And I was asking them, what do you care about? Why are you here? What's your story? And what do you want to learn? And a lot of the experiences that I think are meaningful are when we use our own lives and our own bodies as a testing ground and you see how something feels and you see how it resonates. And a lot of students over the years have reported that they will sometimes delete apps and then add them back in if they miss them or go on sabbaticals where they try walking around for a day without your phone, see how you feel. And I know a lot of us, if you're like me, you feel like, okay, well, you know, I have to be responsive. But what does it feel like when the noise just turns up so much that you can kind of feel that ambient buzz? Like there's a malaise, you know, there's something sinister. And that's what I'm really conscious of because I feel it and I think it's a time to to talk about the future where if AI can do things like optimize our efficiency models and if we can get more done and we're more productive, then what type of lives are we having? So can we optimize what well-being looks like? Can we do that with technology? And can we use it in different ways where more people who might be neurodiverse feel things in a different way and are able to communicate in ways that might not have been traditional in the past. That's what I'm really motivated to work and learn with. Like maybe in the future, we'll be experiencing sound as color. We already are. You know, we're going to be communicating in different ways. Uh, and that's part of why I'm drawn to these types of worlds that 
as Kathleen says, are tribrid. You know, it's not either or. We all are here because we know that being here physically is really special. And we want to add in layers of experiences of wonder and awe so we can see where we can take things in the future. Thank you. Thank you. One more over here. Yeah, thank you so much. Um, So, um, yeah, you um, today told us that um, investing in VR is a good thing, but you don't earn money from that right now. (laughs) So I, well, some of us tried to start a company and you have to earn money. So my question is more about the near future, maybe. So what can we expect from this year in XR, VR? Uh, What do you think? And what would your recommendations be for a company like us? February 2nd is going to be a big day. No. (laughs) (laughs) I I predict. No. (laughs) I... I'm in it for the long game. So again, you know, you've heard me. It's it's not exactly about the hardware, but there are signals. And I mean, I believe that there's, I, I know that people are drawn to this and it's it's not just because it's exotic. Now more people are starting to have firsthand experience with these immersive technologies. Virtual reality has only skimmed the surface of the social components of what it can do. And that's really one of my core philosophies. Um, With Metaverse and with VR, it's true that I know there are future worlds and future spaces that are going to be built. And in the meantime, there are many different ways. I think we saw it in the keynote tonight. There are different things that you do to get by, and that's monetary in the meantime, but you don't stop having the long game vision. Last year or the year before, mid-2022, it occurred to me that I wanted to add four more S's to the way that people define virtual worlds. So here we're entering year seven, almost seven of Aurea. You love the number seven, seven years from now. I have seven S's of VR design where you have, most people say it's shared, it's spatial, and there's some type of social interaction. And I say, well, let's add in the sensory So maybe if your company can work on different senses and how to really have that sensory engagement, maybe the haptics, Um, in addition to sensory, then I think the future is going to be about somatics. So how does it feel in your physical body state? A lot of people tell me, well, I love VR, but I get motion sick. How many other people have had that as like hurdle where some people don't go in? And so I was recently working with the Air Force and they were telling me as pilots, they even have new simulations where they can work on um, their proprioception. And I think there's there are different ways right now to um, fine tune some of the mechanics in VR to make it even more uh, physically wonderful for people somatically. And then the sixth S that I would add in is storied, because storytelling is going to be the way. That's why people join. That's why they see themselves in an experience. And if you don't have great storytelling, you know, and thank goodness ChatGPT can't do it. You know, it needs to be us overseeing, you know, and really experiencing that ourselves first. Um, and then the last S I think is really important for me. It's it's the word soulful, because you question when you're in these experiences, who am I? Um, I was drawn to it because I felt both freedom from that attachment to one person, but also a closeness intimately with that deeper voice that goes beyond, beyond the me that is physical. It becomes something that brings you in a soulful connection. 
And that's why I treat it with so much care. So I think in the future, that's going to be a consideration as we learn to integrate with AI and we learn to build in all kinds of models. You know, what's that soulful journey that we're going to have as humans? Thank you. So one last question, and then we go over to get something to eat. Yeah, and that's so lovely when I actually have the microphone and I also ask the last question. So no more questions from the audience, but one question from me. So um, my question is actually for you, Michelle. Um, so I'm a gatherer. I love the authenticity of us being here together physically. But we also had the most amazing experiences at Europa Park today. We tried UB. I tried the Volatarium for the first time. And both of these experiences use XR. And I was wondering, how do you, as a theme park pioneer who is bringing in all this XR, try to balance this new technology, but also the authenticity of still gathering in a physical space? I think I, um, my dad is very carefully watching to keep that <laughs> in uh, balance um, because um, he's a trained um, mechanical engineer and uh, he was not jumping up to the roof um, when I first came up with the idea of having a VR coaster on our coastality to back into 16. Um, but I think that's... Um, As you were mentioning earlier, I think it's the mix of both. It's uh, that you still feel that there is a soul to it, that there's a perfection to it, that you have values in the digital world, that you don't do everything for money or for selling your advertising. And I, I, we just want to have that second layer to be there, hopefully another two, three, four, five generations. And um, I mean, the family is now in the eighth generation, so we always had to reinvent ourselves to still be in the business. And um, it's been a long path, and I think that we're going to have a couple of more arrears till um, we've proven to the world that uh, this was a good path to follow. So I hope that the community stays strong, and one day well, we meet each other again, I don't know where, but on a CES or somewhere, and I say, oh, you remember mm -hmm. the, the, when we sat together, just uh, five of us late night or swimming in the Rulantica, totally drunk, <laughs> with the XR headset on their head, and they're like, does that ever work? So it's about, I, I feel home, you know, in the community of Aria, of those people who are being looked at um, strangely. And I think you just have to have a long, long breath. And I'm thankful that um, we are more generation company and um, that we have the means to do so because uh, um, I think six years, uh, and it's beneficial actually to the future. And um, But having then guys in like Matt, who just entered the room, you know, also been crazy enough um, to do business out of it. And uh, I think it takes time, it takes time and persistence. But I do believe that we need a second layer of any analog business because um, we are cyborgs already with our mobile phones. So let's be the ones who create the content from a European perspective with a different value to maybe Chinese and uh, Americans. That's at least my European view and things. Um, not that I don't like them, but I think there's certainly a European way of telling stories. Love that. Seven years from now. So, seven years from now, Kathleen, because you were mentioning, how would you like the world to be look like in terms of technology? Seven years from now, I would really love to see people say, I feel better connection now than I did seven years ago. And a lot of what I do is really about empowering connection inside of people with themselves and also with each other in communities just like this. And I think that ideally 
The relationship we have with technology can be using it as a bridge, so it's a human-human relationship mediated by tech, or human and nature. I would love seven years from now to see a better state that we have with caring for the planet and having those goals that seem lofty, but what are, what are we doing? And I've even had conversations today about that with people in this group. I'm hopeful. So seven years from now, I also optimistically hope that things like this loneliness crisis, that more people are seeing the positives in places like gaming that sometimes have stigmas in the past, that more stories are being told about how things bring people together. And it's going to be seven years, you know, we've entered year seven of this taking place. So everybody coming together for Aurea in seven years are going to say, well, this would be our halfway point. So if you think back to what you were just asked from Anelia, you know, the, the full history, I think, of, of having wild goals and dreams and taking some risks, I hope more people will take risks like that so that in seven years there are more places for people to come to. Thank you. So let's have our wild dreams in analog tonight. Yes. Uh, spending a nice <laughs> evening together. Thank you, everyone, for this fascinating discussion and exciting question. It has been a true pleasure to be here live at Europa Park with Kathleen Krause. We hope you are inspired as we are. But before we wrap up this recording, I wanted to extend a special thank you to Kathleen for joining us today. And I'm, I'm thanking you back and also letting everybody know when I saw where we were on the schedule and that we are the speed bump before dinner. I knew that it would take everybody pulling together. So I, I really feel the whole community here and just thank you for everybody here. It's, it's been a real pleasure and privilege. Thank you, Michael. Excellent. So thank you all for listening to my podcast and be sure to tune in again next time when we will uncover more of what the future holds. And now, bon appétit. Bon appétit. <laughs> wow. The world beyond. Emotion is of tomorrow. A Mac One production.